0: You would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We are looking at the end of the book. Verses 11 through 14. The closing remarks of the Apostle Paul. Verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. And Father, I thank you for a church that struggled. And yet, Father, by your grace, your mercy, your proclamation of your truth was brought back. Lord, we are in a strange time. The, the church is asleep And yet, Father, I pray, beginning with us, that we'd be awake. We'd understand the urgency of the time. And Father, rally around your word, rally around your truth. Father, rejoice that we are children of the Most High God. In Christ's name, amen. We stepped into this last week, verse 11, is where we're kind of at. We're still there. And what we have in this text is the picture of sanctification. We start in chapter 10 with spiritual warfare, and the thing that overcomes spiritual warfare is sanctification. It is not a mystical thing. Uh, I I watch a lot of people think that it's some kind of mystic thing that you kind of slip in and out of. It's not. At the moment of your salvation, you are as holy as you're ever going to be. Okay? If that's not true, then how in the world can you pray to God if He's not allowed to be in the presence of sin? All right, you know, I know lost people who pray, and I tell them, sometimes gently, sometimes not so, he ain't listening. Okay, because he does not listen to, go read John 17. He says, I don't pray for the world. Jesus' ministry that is going on right now, what he's doing since he ascended to the right hand of the Father is John 17. He is interceding on behalf of the saints, all of us, for all time. Okay, and that in that whole text, you read that. That's the one that I call the Lord's Prayer. When I read that, He says, "I do not pray for the world." Okay, He's not interceding for the world. All right, now now I know that sounds mean and all the rest of it, but you know what? That's what He said, and I'm going to go with it. Right. So, when I think about this text, especially toward the conclusion, He shows you what does sanctification look like. OK, and and, and and we struggle with it because, uh, listen, I can base your sanctification on one simple thing. OK, one simple thing. How often do you read your Bible? I moved into this text several months ago, and it says, I challenge every one of you, spend an hour a day. Seven days a week, one hour a day, reading your Bible. And and people say, well, where should I? Anywhere. I don't care. It's all God breathed. Anywhere. Just spend an hour. And yet you watch us. How easy is that to be distracted? All right. Which tells me this. How powerful is that? Listen, if I'm going against speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Christ, I'd better know the true knowledge of Christ. Listen, and I don't think that you guys should listen and say, well, I know that Terry knows. No, I have to go through the turnstile by myself. Guess what? So do you. And we've got to understand this. And this is what the Apostle Paul is laying out here. Now, you've got to understand the heartache that this church has inflicted. And yet there has been some resolution. There has been a healing coming together. But the Apostle Paul understood that the false teachers are still there. So he's kind of got it cleared up that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. They are starting to say, yeah, you know what? He's probably Right. All right. And even though these people that were still among them are saying, well, we are super apostles. They could start all of a sudden looking and saying, well, this doesn't line up with Paul. All right. Some of you have experienced things in the past where you said that don't sound right. Now, you'll sit there and say that don't sound right. And you may not know why that don't sound right. Alright, you need to know why that don't sound right. Alright, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And it's like uh, 1 John, called. it's almost like he's a built-in lie detector. Alright, but here's the thing. He's in there and he's trying to get you to understand why it ain't right. Because we have some slick talkers going on today. And we smile and we listen to him and think, well, this is awesome. I heard a, a sermon from this guy. I had a whole bunch of people contact me, says, you've got to listen to this guy's sermon. I am not going to give you his name. OK, he, he's a, a retired Marine uh, and he has P.T.S. something. What do they call it? D. That's what he preached on. Really? And everybody kept saying, well, how powerful is that? Post traumatic stress? Why wouldn't I go to a psychiatrist? There was nothing biblical about it. It was a moving message. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. This guy goes through the details on how soldiers are trained to disregard their own survivability and understand that they have to kill or be killed and they train him for this and then they put him into the situation and they have to go. He is a survivor of, of Fallujah, uh, which was a nasty place. And he went through, and it was, it was very interesting. But I don't know why you would call it a sermon. He never even opened a Bible. Okay, don't get me wrong. The guy had a powerful message. If you're dealing with someone who's come out of a combat situation that was extraordinarily violent, you'll know what you're up against if you listen to this guy. But the closest thing he came, he says, the only peace that I have with this is with Jesus Christ. That was it. Well, that's the shortest message in the world. All right. I could have told you that. And I could have given you a verse to back it up. He didn't even give me a verse. But everybody, and I had a whole bunch of people, I had five different people say, you've got to see this guy, you've got to see this guy, download his sermon, go download his sermon. And so I downloaded it. And you know what? It was a powerful sermon, a message. And I, you feel for the guy. But the the, the problem is, you are explaining things. One of the things that I think that has happened with us in this scenario, most people in the United States have absolutely no concept whatsoever combat is. Our best understanding of combat is whatever John Wayne did. Okay? That ain't combat. All right? I have a friend who's with the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. Everybody in Israel at 18 goes into the military. It doesn't matter. You turn 18, you're in the military. Men are on active duty until 32. Women are on active duty until 27. And then you're in reserves. And you're in reserves until you die. Okay? But everybody in Israel who's Jewish knows what combat is. All right, so if you could literally say then everybody in Israel has PTSD. Okay, and you know, it just, it's crazy. All right, I look at that and I say, yeah, you know what? The United States does not understand this. All right. And it's nice to get this information out so that we can kind of, you know, understand. Let me tell you something. It did absolutely nothing for my sanctification. And if it doesn't do anything for my sanctification, what will it do for me in spiritual battle? Nothing. Nothing. Okay? The Apostle Paul here is telling the Corinthians, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, be made complete. And I showed you the word. And it literally means, get this stuff in order. You've got all the parts. They're just out of place. Get it all in order. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you don't get anything from this, you need to get in order. You need to put two things on the top of your urgency list. Two things. The word and prayer. And if that don't work, use the prayer and the word. Because you are in a spiritual conflict right now. And if you don't spend time on your knees and your nose in that book, you're defeated. It is that simple. You've got to get this stuff in order. You have to be able to defend. Why do I believe this way? Well, the preacher said so. I ain't going to get it, people. It just ain't going to get it. So what he does is says, I want you to be made complete. All right, And what he's saying is, you have all the parts. You need to put them in order. Get it all working like it's supposed to. So he gives four exhortations. This word that he says here, be made complete, is the picture Of sanctification. What does sanctification look like? All right? And you hear all kinds of things about it. Let's start with the first one. Finally, brethren, okay, be made complete. How? In the New American Standard, it says rejoice. Some of your translations may say joy. Carrot. Carrot. It's a it's a strange word. It's used for farewell or goodbye. But it's also used as a greeting. In Matthew's gospel, chapter twenty-eight, verse nine, twenty-eight, nine. Jesus out of the tomb greets the ladies, and he says to them what? Carrot. And it's translated what? Rejoice. Rejoice. It's, it's similar. This word in the Greek is similar to the word that you have heard before in the Hebrew. Shalom. Shalom is peace. Okay. And you use it to say goodbye or you use it to say hello. In the church, they say rejoice, rejoice. You know, I'm getting ready to see you later. Rejoice. Haven't seen you in a while. There you come. Rejoice. I like it. I like it. Be complete. How? Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, remember, I shared with you two weeks ago. These are all emphatic imperatives. using curry is a greeting is very awesome because joy or rejoicing is essential to the life of the church it's as i've told you that uh, when i've been to russia now you, you got to think about this for a minute new york city you've seen pictures of new york city some of you've already probably been there they have 8 million people okay that's a lot of people all right, Moscow has 35 million people and they're all mad. I mean, they're all just walk around with these frowns on their face, except every once in a while, you'll see someone with a smile. And I could I just look at him and I'll say Christos. Da, Christos, And then they go off on this r- Russian tangent. And I'm like, dude, that's all I got. <laughs> and I can ask where the bathroom is and how to get a cab. <laughs> okay. And, and it loses some of its spiritualness there. But you see the joy in the believers in that place. Christians are characterized by joy. It is Fruit. Okay, that is produced in our lives by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, love, joy. Why? These are pictures of the, of, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is fruit of the Spirit. If you want to get depressed? Go in front of it. He'll show you the deeds of the flesh. They're evident. And you won't find joy there. I guess I'll go to the book of joy. Chapter 2 of Philippians. Verse 28. Or no wait. Verse 18. You too. I urge you. carat. Rejoice. In the same way. And share your carrot. With me. Share your joy with me. Verse 28 of the same chapter. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly that you may see him again and you may rejoice. And I may be less concerned about you. Now, some of these, all they're doing is changing from the noun to the verb form. But it's still the same word, same root root word. Chapter three, verse one. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It is of our makeup that this is happening. First Thessalonians chapter six five, verse sixteen. What does it say? It's in the emphatic also. And it says, rejoice always. Can okay, you know how you translate the word always? Always. Always. There's always rejoicing there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Keep on rejoicing. Simple to do, isn't it? No problem. I'm just going to cruise through and I'm going to rejoice. John's Gospel. Let me share with you something about joy. Or rejoicing. This is a legacy of Jesus that he left to his followers. Okay, it would be what I mean by legacy. This is Jesus's inheritance to his followers. Okay, now think about that for a second. Some of you have received inheritance in your lives from loved one, family members and things like this. And you receive it and all the rest of it. Jesus gave you an inheritance that is for here right now. And you know what it is? Joy. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, you read that and you think, well, that's kind of cool. This is the upper room discourse. He's just had the Lord's Supper with the, the disciples. He's getting ready to leave the temple mound. He's going to go across the Kidron Valley. He's going to go up under the Garden of Gethsemane. He will be arrested and tried and murdered before sunrise the next day. And he's talking about joy. Fascinating. And John's gospel, the same 16 verse 22. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Now, remember, he hasn't left the Temple Mound yet. He still has to be arrested. Chapter 17, verse 13, 17, 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves for the Pleasure in front of him, the joy in front of him, he went to the cross. So that you and I would have an inheritance of his eternal joy. That's awesome. I don't care how you shake that thing. You can take everything around you right now and ask yourself a simple question. Do I understand the legacy Jesus gave me of his joy? Because let me tell you what we're talking about here in our context. We're talking about sanctification, people. If I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil, if I'm going to resist him so he can flee if I'm going to beat back the speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to overcome the division of people, the anger of humanity, I'm going to do it with the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture actually is full of the joy of the believers. When you can think about Stephen being stoned and looking to heaven and saying, do not hold this against them. When you think about Jesus Christ on the cross, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they do. That is coming from a vastness of joy that is beyond human comprehension. For the joy before Him, He endured the cross. Yahoo! Can't we just ride a roller coaster? You see what I'm trying to get at? If I'm going to get this in order so I can show the perfect picture of sanctification, one of the things I have to understand is the joy of my salvation. I have run into Christians that... I was praying I didn't catch what they had. And I'm sitting here going, you don't look happy about being saved. You look miserable. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, really? I mean, their foreheads are all wrinkled up. You need to get saved. Really? Whatever you got, I hope it's not contagious. And I'm thinking, that ain't what the disciples... Listen, it doesn't mean you don't do battle. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Joy is not happiness. Joy says, I'm an heir to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I can rejoice because I already give you the verses in John's gospel. He's promised it. The joy you have given me, Father, I give to Not to beleaguer the point. Let me give you some ideas about a believer's joy. Let me tell you what the scripture says. It's kind of stunning actually. Because we always want to talk about revelations. We always want to talk about the cross. And the evil of mankind. And Romans 1. And all the rest of it. We, We hang out there. But let me tell you some things that the Bible teaches. Just in a cursory glance that I did. A believer's joy is great. Luke 24, verse 52, and Acts chapter 15, verse 3. A believer's joy is abundant. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. A believer's joy is overflowing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse four a believer's joy is animated. that means it's annoying to people who ain't joyful <laughs> in Luke chapter six verse twenty three a believer's joy is inexpressible First peter chapter one, verse eight a believer's joy is even full of awe. Psalms chapter two, verse 11. Now listen, what is amazing about this? Two texts that I just gave you are out of Second Corinthians. Those guys seemed like a bunch of knuckleheads, didn't they? And yet Paul had joy. Luke chapter 24 is the end of Jesus' life. And yet his joy is great. First Peter is a book of suffering. And he says it's inexpressible. Christian joy is not a giddiness. It's not this superficial happy, happy, joy, joy. Listen. That can be destroyed by an illness. Get a common cold. Or a flu. Was that joyful? You just do your little happy dance up and down the stairs and everything, huh? Get a toothache. Oh, I'm happy now. Okay. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That can be destroyed by economic problems. It can be destroyed by broken or bad relationships. It can be destroyed by disappointments that, let's be realistic, is just part of life. That ain't the joy that I'm talking about here. True Christian joy. Now listen, you've got to get this down. True Christian joy. If you want to get it all in order, you want the completeness to be there. True Christian joy comes from a deep unshakable confidence that God is eternally in control of every aspect of life for the good of His beloved children. Do you get that? An unshakable confidence that God is in control of every aspect of life. Okay? Now, How do I do that? I thought you would never ask. That confidence is rooted in the knowledge of his word. Okay? It's not a subjective knowledge. It's not somebody told me this. It's because I read it. I prayed about it. I sought it out. I looked for it. Here I am. I shall not be moved. Now, I want you to remember something about that. Because we can sit there and go, amen, brother. Amen, brother. In the word. In the word. In the word. All right. Do this one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. What did they do with that? Killed him. So how unshakable are you? How unshakable are you? They killed the word incarnate. You're going to stand on it in absolute confidence, unshakable. Because when you do, regardless of what's going on around you. You will have joy. (laughs) That's just amazing to me. I read a commentary on Noah's Ark years ago. (laughs) Henry Morse. He says, the church is much like Noah's Ark. He says. We're all inside of there, and the stench is awful, but it's better than the storm that's outside. And so you can be up to your eyeballs in animal poo and still have joy because there's a storm outside, and I'd rather be in here. Listen, when we know and we are rooted and confident in His Word, it's so amazing to me somebody will come out and say well science has said well gee many crickets that's some infallibility there that's sort of like if it's on the internet it must be true okay I mean people do uh, it is amazing to me I heard a new thing some of you weren't around in the 70's in 1970's they concluded an ice age was coming. You know why? This is science now. Armadillos were migrating south to get away from the ice. So the sign for the ice age coming was armadillos. Right? Right on science. Guess what? The armadillos are migrating north now. So it's global warming. And they want to make fun of me and my Bible? Really? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. But this this is a foundation for what science is saying. Science will throw something out there and we all go, oh uh. They found a box, a bone box. What happened in Israel, a lot of times if a family got too populated, they would put the bones in a box and they'd go bury it in the backyard. They found a bone box, okay? On the front of it, guess whose name was in it? Jesus. And it was obvious that it was a family box of bones. So this must have been Jesus and his wife and his children. And everybody said, see, look. He was buried. And you're like, what? And then they did some testing on it. And they found this thing was around about 1100 A.D., which is really close to Jesus. But all the churches were going, oh, what are we going to do now? What do you mean, what are we going to do now? I, you know, science found a box of bones and all of a sudden we're just going to can scripture. Good idea. That's a person who has a great rooted knowledge of the word of God. Gee, many Christians. And then, you know, well, we've never found Noah's Ark. It was wood. Do you ever think about that? What happens to Wood. You build a fire, fool. (laughs) Then he crickets. It said he had a burnt offering. (laughs) Cut off the boat. Ground's out. I mean, I have never in my life and I listen to people want to argue about it. Oh now, but you cannot really. Do I stand firm on God's character, God's attributes, and a saving work of Jesus Christ and a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? Do I understand divine providence in all of my spiritual blessings? Do I understand the promise of future glory? Do I understand why my prayers get answered? Do I even understand Christian fellowship? The joy of the saints? Listen, these all cause a believer To rejoice. And you can't steal that. His divine attributes. His divine character. Him answering our prayers. The fellowship of the saints. You can get people that you have absolutely nothing in common with. And yet the joy of the Lord and the moving of the Holy Spirit makes you one. I remember talking to a a Russian who was a security officer on a nuclear submarine during the Cold War. And he said, I would have never thought I'd be standing and talking to an American where I used to shadow all the Americans with any time you knew that you would have to attack that ship that you were shadowing. He says, and here we are together. I remember, I told him, I said, I remember when they told us, when you guys bombed us, I was supposed to crawl under my wood desk. (laughs) I never did understand, you know, I wasn't the smartest bulb in the package, but I'm like, wood desk, nuclear bomb. I'm going to get under there. Why? <laughs> Why wouldn't I get up on the hill and wave by? <laughs> I mean, gee, get under a wood desk in a nuclear attack. Okay. I rest my case. Science. So that's joy. Part of being complete is joy. Let me get you another quick one here, and we'll wrap this Little piece up the next one that you see there is very fascinating to me, um, absolutely fascinating because he says this, right? to be made complete, you need to rejoice and be comforted, comforted. You know what that word is in the Greek here it 's a verb. Okay. There's a noun that you know very well. Okay. Here it's The noun is paraclete. And it's not like a pair of running shoes. Okay. Paraclete. Okay. Definite article paraclete would be the comforter. You know how we translate that? Holy Spirit. Here he says, being the verb action, Now understand, i got to give this back to you. The syntax of this text says that I am to exhort you. This is a command. These are non-negotiable. These are emphatic. Okay? It has to do with speaking authoritatively. Let me show you. I've got a whole bunch of verses on this word. This is one of my favorite words. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 18, speaking of Jesus, So with many other Paracoleos, he preached the gospel to the people. Okay? With many other exhortations. is how the New American Standard translates it. Do you see how that works? He comforted them by what he was telling them. He comforted them. Acts chapter 2 verse 40. But I'm not going to. I'm going to keep going. I'm ahead of you guys. I'm going to Acts chapter 20 verses 1 and 2. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and when he had percaleo them, exhorted them and had taken his leave of them, he went on to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much percaleo, much exhortation, he came to Greece. Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And he who parakaleo, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he is given with liberality, he who leads with diligence. Okay, same thing. I'm instructing, why? To comfort you. Listen, the word that we usually use as exhortation, it literally means to come alongside somebody. Who's having a difficulty. Okay. Uh, it can be a self-inflicted difficulty. It could be circumstances. Whatever. But you come alongside. And it has in its mindset. I'm going to grab you around the shoulder. And I'm going to say. Now listen. If we keep going this way. It's going to be a mess. But I'm going to help you. And we're going to walk over this way. And we'll go this direction. Okay. But yet I'm going to be close enough to you. That I'm not just going to say. Hey. Dude. Go that way. Because it has in mind, paraclete is the Holy Spirit. How intimate are you with the Holy Spirit? Well, he knows your thoughts before you think them. All right. He knows God's will for every nanosecond of your life until the moment your faith becomes sight. That's how intimate he is with his children. So when you read this word and you think paraclete, the Holy Spirit, or a that I'm going to comfort you, it doesn't mean I'm going to send you a get well soon card. It means I'm involved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now remember, this is the first letter that we have. It's actually the second letter, but it's the first letter we have. And this church is jacked up. I mean, the first six chapters is a mess. I mean, I would have ended it there and said, you know, what, guys, later. Go to Athens. Here's what he says. Now I exhort you, brethren. What is he saying? Now I comfort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. That you all agree. Why? I want to comfort you to be this way. Chapter 4, verse 16. Remember, this is a letter of rebuke. Chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Corinthians. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 31. Speaking of tongues versus prophecy. For you can all prophesy one by one so that. All may learn and all may be exhorted. All may be comforted. Why I do what I do? The Holy Spirit will use that who is the comforter to comfort you. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. Speaks of exhortation, comforting. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 12. Speaks of exhortation and comforting. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Understand that that's the apostle Paul's last letter ever. He dies shortly thereafter, and yet he is trying to comfort young Timothy. Titus chapter one, verse nine. Titus chapter two, verse 15. First Peter five. Verse 1 and 12. And understand that Peter is writing to a suffering people, Jews who are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ, being tortured, stoned, crucified. So it's easy for me to look at this and say, okay, this thing is easily translated. You could use it as, you know, what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians is to be comforted or be exhorted. And we say, well, exhorted or comforted, which one is it? Yes. It is. To admonish and to submit to the authority. Remember, that's part of what sanctification is. Listen to what the authority has told you. If the man is a man of the book and you know he's a man of prayer and he tells you something, he's not shooting from the hip. Do we understand that? This will help you. This information will help you. I'm telling you right now, if you read your Bible one hour a day, every day, and pray without ceasing, it will help you. And I don't care what you're dealing with. It is essential, especially to the church in Corinth, if they were going to get their stuff in order. Rejoice and be comforted. Rejoice and be comforted. I'll take you back one more time to 1 Corinthians, which is a a scathing letter. Chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to... And the New American Standard word here is... Admonish. Guess what the word means? Guess what the word is? Parakaleo. Parakaleo. I admonish you as my beloved children. See, that's, that's the amazement of this letter. And I look at this. And I'm still in verse 11. And we're at the conclusions. How many times do we read the conclusions? There's a dissertation in here on the Trinity. And the last three verses of the second Corinthians. Really? But have you ever thought about it? See, there's times we get to the end of the letter. Well, that's almost done. See you later. Bye. Catch you. This is my forwarding email address and whatever. And I'm looking at this and he says, I have laid this out. This is my fourth letter. Two trips. My third trip is coming. Okay, he's probably in Macedonia writing this. All right, and he's on his way back. And that was a mess. Go read the first six chapters of First Corinthians. Just go read it. You know, you can read not Psalm 119 in 11 minutes. Largest book in the Bible you can read in 11 minutes. And I'm asking you to read for an hour. Why? So I don't have to admonish you. So I can exhort you. So that the Holy Spirit will comfort you. People say, well, Terry, there's times you, you're just not that comforting. Am I giving you truth? Then I'm comforting. I'm supernaturally comforting. You may not like it, but you know what? There's times that I get truth. I don't like it either. But I read enough now to say that if I don't like it, too bad. <laughs> I've never won any of them arguments. I don't like that, Lord. And he don't care. All right. So, brothers and sisters, completion. Completion be made complete get the parts in the right order two of the parts is joy and comfort joy and comfort let me tell you something in our society right now does that stand out i mean that is as odd as the day is long joy and comfort and we wonder why we're not reaching anybody we'll go look at the saints I don't see no joy and I don't see no comfort. Okay? Next week, we'll finish up with like-mindedness and peace. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have given us the parts to be complete. And Father, I pray for each of us, myself included, how to get on our knees and say, Father, finally, brethren, let us have joy. Let us be comforted. Let us be like-minded. Let us live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with us. Thank you, Father, for being with us. Thank you that the joy of Jesus Christ has been given to each of us. And, Father, you have given us the comforter to make us comfort, comforted. Thank you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. We praise You for this time. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, we never take it for granted and rejoice in our salvation. Rejoice in answered prayer. Rejoice in the ability to pray. And Father, I pray for everyone here that they would have a burning heart to be in Your book every day. In Christ's name, Amen.